Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect at Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message. Let me connect the dots for you. If you're looking up at some screens that have the word Christmas on them, I can make sense of this, I promise. This is to remind you uh, the time earlier, well, last year, when you guys made the love of God visible for the world around us through our Christmas give. And we had all kinds of cool goals for that Christmas give, but for us as a community, our hearts just latched on to the stories and the people around Vista Square. And so uh, that easily won the day as far as those gifts go. And and Vista Square has been a word you've heard around here. That's an elementary school in town that we've just grabbed by the hands and said, hey, where you go, we're going with you. We are in this with you and we're together. And so we got more Vista Square people in the house. Can you just welcome them and say, we love you and we're for you? Yes. Okay. And and so just, just to talk numbers with you. We took uh, 10,000 of that money and just wrote a check to them to help with some needs on that school. We've set another portion of the Christmas give aside that we're going to use to pour into some other projects that we, that we have over there on campus that we want to do to bless them and that sort of thing. But I wanted you guys to hear from Principal Allen, uh, Principal Marisa Allen today, how you are making a difference there. So could you welcome her up really quick one more time with some passion and enthusiasm and everything. This should be working. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. How you doing? I'm you all right? How's yes. your school year going? It's awesome. Yes, awesome. wonderful. Yes. It's the best year ever. That's what I'm saying. That's good. So it's the it's the Lord. Just so you know, it's yes. the Lord. Um, yes. So. Can you just tell us a little bit, you know, we happy, we see this as we're just getting started, but in the meantime, can you talk about the difference that these guys have made through their gift and their generosity and everything? Yes, so you have all made such a huge difference on our campus. With this Christmas give, um, I wanted, I know that that many times we give to our communities and to help them, and we're not necessarily asking for a thank you in return. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I came out here on behalf of Vista Square, on behalf of the families that were impacted because of your generosity. And so I have a lot, a lot of letters from our students and some of our parents, but I, I wanted to share just a few with you because I can be here on behalf of them to say thank you, but we want to hear it from, we want to hear the, how you impacted yeah, those families directly. So if you will allow me, I'd like to read yeah, to you some of, their, some of the cards Let's go. that they've given. I can hold them. So here's one. This is from a a student, um, Jacob, nine years old. He says, thank you for the gift that I received. It made my Christmas extra special. And from his parents, thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts. Pastor Matt and the congregation, you blessed us abundantly with groceries, a gift, board games for our family to enjoy. Jacob enjoys using the RC Jeep, and we love to play Monopoly. The gift card from Target was perfect for this past Christmas. May God continue to bless all of your lives for putting this together, and God is faithful. God bless Momentum Church. Sincerely, the the Rodriguez family. Yeah, all right. This This is another one. Thank you, Momentum Church, for bringing life to Vista Square. Some of you don't know me, but I met Momentum church back in 2016 when I was a resident at the interfaith shelter along with my two little ones 
I was going through a very stressful time, but I knew God was going to move in my life. Your church loved me and my two girls and made us feel at home. I'm so grateful for all my friends at Momentum. The heart that you all have for others in need is a blessing to your church. Momentum Church, you are always in our prayers. We love you and can't wait to visit soon. God is faithful. Much love, Jacqueline Gonzalez, Mia, and Elisa. But I wanted you to hear from Mia and Elisa, too. Oh, right on, right on. So this is Elisa. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> Elisa is a first grade student in Ms. Galindo's class. Thank you for giving us early Christmas presents. Thank you for inviting us to your church. God bless you. We love Momentum Church. You can see she's getting better at her writing every day. Yeah. And then from her sister, second grade, and Mrs. Kim's class, thank you for the gifts. We really appreciate your kindness. You are a blessing to my school. God bless your church. Yes, wonderful. So in listening, thank you. And it really touched my heart, this last song that we sang on, on fighting our battles, because um, being one of the verses that was up there, and it didn't repeat itself many times, but it really stuck with me was, one about being praising and being grateful and that's that's how I fight my battles because yes. and, and I call them battles but they're challenges really um, at our school site so thank you so much um, praising God and also being thankful to every single one of you and your generosity it, it makes a huge difference in addition to the Christmas give yes. the ten thousand yeah. dollar donation Wow that is amazing because we are now able to provide towards the wages of an employee that otherwise wouldn't be able to be at Vista Square. And that is, we are going to be employing a behavior specialist for our students next year. And thanks to those $10,000, we are now able to do that. Amen, come on now. And this person will really provide the support that is needed for all the trauma that our, some of our families live with. So thank you so much, Mon Momentum, from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. Hey, appreciate you. Mm -hmm. There's a little more you can do, another way to get involved. There's some info in this video. I'm going to get my notes ready, but check this out. Let's go. Good morning, Momentum. If you'd like to join the story that God is writing at Vista Square Elementary, we've got an outstanding opportunity coming up for you in just two weeks. On February 22nd from 9 to 11.30 a.m., we're gonna to go to Vista Square to do a cleanup, and we would love to have you there. In those two hours, we're gonna engage in a series of projects that will bless the school and those who call it home. It's a family-friendly event, so it's open to you and anyone that you wanna bring with you to sign up, just use your Momentum app or go to the Info Center and we'll get you connected. This small commitment will make a huge impact. We're looking forward to serving with you on this day. If you haven't gotten the Momentum app yet, it's available in your app store. Just search Momentum San Diego and look for the blue arrow. Finally, we're going to jump back into week three of our God's Movement My Life message series. There's a note sheet in your outline and on your Momentum app if you'd like to follow along. If you brought a Bible today, you can turn to the book of 1 Samuel and get ready to hear a word from God. Here we go. Have a great day, Momentum. I love this church, you guys. This is so much fun. Um, we're 
going to move from all this wonderful stuff to, to God's movement in my life. Uh, let's do this just to make sure you're still warmed up and participating. If it's appropriate, turn to somebody next to you and say, hey, it's cold in here, but you look hot today. There you go. Just get started. That's fine. That's fine. And if they had too much coffee, you can just say, it's cold in here, but your breath is hot today. So that'll be fine too. That works. The idea is God's movement in my life, God's movement in your life. How do we follow God? Somebody's still on that. They're like, oh gosh, your breath, you see what he did? Okay, you know, come on, come on, come on. We don't have much time. The idea is we're answering and asking some very big questions. How do we know God's will for our life? How do we tune into what God's doing? How do we go where God is taking us? How do we become who God is making us? And you got this little outline that you can fill in as we go, draw pictures, whatever. But, but the key idea is already filled in for you there. And it simply says this, when I know how God has moved, when I understand how God works, I can begin to see how God is working. What that means for us is we can look back at God and the way he's moved through history because he's an unchanging God. And we can observe the way he has moved in history. We can look back at our lives with those lessons and discover what he's up to in our lives today, which is really the heart and the soul of this series. This series is for people who are saying, I want to be where God is. I want to find him. I want more of that. I've heard him before. I've felt him tapping me on the shoulder and I'm just trying to tune into what he has for me. This is that kind of series. Now, we've been looking at David. He's an Old Testament hero. We will catch you up on his story in just a minute. But we looked at the life of David and many other stories in scripture and saw this little pattern that unfolds and, and this calling of God in our life. You usually unfolds in these four phases. You become aware of something new God's putting on your soul. There's a refining that happens as God prepares you for that work or shapes you for that work or even through that work. That then leads to doing the real work he's called you to do. And when we tune in to what God's called us to do, the outcome is always people around us flourishing. And so that is the soul of this series. And we said this doesn't just happen once in your life. And there's many times where God wants to wake you up to something new or make you aware of a certain calling or path or pathway in your life. And, and you want to follow those because they stack over time. And if you look at them like over and over, if you go to the next one for me, John, what happens is as you begin to journey with God and as you tune into more of what he's called you to and more of what he's doing in your life and you follow him through these cycles, your character grows. And by that, I just mean God's got a vision for your life, for the type of man or woman you will be. And as you journey with him, you live into that vision that he has for your life. And then on top of that, it's not just about you. You your ability to contribute, your contribution, your service for humanity and the world around you increases because God always uses us to influence out of the character that is in us. And that is the ride that we are going on. So you could jump back to the graphic and I'll just catch you up. If you've not heard of David, David was this Old Testament hero who one day became king of Israel. He did not start out as a king though. He started as a shepherd. And one day, God taps this prophet on the shoulder. The prophet's name was Samuel. We're in some scripture that he wrote down and recorded. It's history. And Samuel gets sent to the house of Jesse, to this little farm community on the edge of Bethlehem. And he gets 
sent to the household of Jesse with a message from God. Prophet just means messenger from God. And he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse because I have rejected this king. There's a king named Saul. We'll learn about him more in a minute. But he occupied the throne, but God had said, he does occupy the throne, but my spirit will no longer rest on him. I want you to anoint a new king. His name is David. He's in the house of Jesse. Now, Jesse doesn't get the picture because the prophet rolls in and then Jesse just lines up all his boys, smartest to dumbest. It's not okay to do, he, he grabs the best looking, like the high SAT score, upwardly mobile guys, and then the slackers over here on the side, and he goes, I've got your king, Samuel. And they look at each one of these, and as Samuel's listening to God, he feels God communicating, this is not what I'm looking for. And there was that powerful passage we looked at week one that says, the Lord doesn't look at what man looks at, God looks at the heart. And journeying with God is about maintaining the right heart before him. And as a matter of fact, that heart is just what God is looking for when he taps us on the shoulder today. We've talked about modeling that heart. It's interesting because through the course of events, David is anointed to be king. He's selected, he's picked, but he's far from this throne. But then God begins to work sovereignly. That just means his power and his control over history. And he leads David into the household of Saul. We get this little narration of what's going on spiritually. And it says, the spirit of God lifts from Saul and descends on David. Saul then enters this point or this place of emotional, spiritual, physical torment, the Bible describes, as David grows more confident, more strong, more powerful, because God is now with him. Then God arranges things where David ends up playing harp to relieve Saul in the courts of the king. But as we look at this story and as we see it unfold and we look back through history, we can see that God is up to something. He is moving in David's life. It all grows to the point where there's this battle that exists between Israel and the, uh, between the people of God, that's Israel, and the Philistine army. Now there's this big problem with the Philistine army and his name is Goliath. And day in and day out, when we looked at it last week in the Valley of Elah, this giant comes out and he says, hey, people of God, where's your God? How about some of that God stuff? Why don't you step up and send somebody? Let's keep the body count low. Somebody fights me. If I win, we win. If you win, y'all win. Let's just solve this simply. But every single one of the people of God, including King Saul, who's occupying the throne, is gripped with fear. Nobody knows what to do. And then it's not too long before this young shepherd whose brothers are at the lines of battle gets sent with some provisions. If you remember the loaf of bread from last week, David is running back and forth between Saul's camp and his house, taking care of the sheep and running errands for dad, giving the brothers some food that they need during battle. And he rolls on the scene one day, the giant comes out and he says this whole thing and hey Israel, and if you're so good, where's your God? And then David sees what nobody else sees. Everybody else saw an obstacle that could not be overcome, but David saw an opportunity to tell everybody and show everybody just who his God was. And so he goes to Saul. Do you remember the, the lion and the bear? And he goes, Saul, don't worry. I will, take care of your, I will take care of your giant. Don't worry. I've killed a lion and a bear before. This is David. A lion and a bear. He'll be like one of them. If I can kill a lion, I can kill a bear. I can take care of your giant issue here. So Saul promises to anybody who defeats this giant a small fortune, tax-exempt status for the 
family forever, and his daughter in marriage, which means you become royalty. And the lesson there for us is let's not forget that God works in time and space. So this plan that is unfolding that we can see from our vantage point is happening through some very normal interactions in David's day. And so David says to the king, hey, I've killed a lion and a bear. Saul says, no, you haven't. He says, hey, Eliab, tell him about the lion and the bear. His brother comes in, yes, we've heard about the lion and the bear a thousand times. He actually killed a lion. You killed a lion and a bear. Yes, I killed a lion and a bear. The giant will be no different. So nobody thinks this is going to happen. David goes running into the battlefield, running, not walking, running, not sauntering, running at the problem in Jesus' name, hits him with the rock, cuts off his head. They don't tell you that in preschool or in Sunday school classes, but that's what happens. He stands up, he's holding the head, the thing's dripping on his boots. He's like, oh gosh, Jeez. And, and he goes, hey, took care of your giant. Now let's talk about some business. And he gets the small fortune, tax exempt status, the king's hand of his daughter or the daughter of the king's hand in marriage. Just like that, he is awakened to God's movement in his life. Now that's essentially where we've been for the last two weeks. We've talked about David becoming aware of what it is that God is calling him to do. Talked about David's eyes opening, how we can have our eyes open to what God's calling us to do. Now, what comes next is not what pastors get up here and usually tell you comes next. We usually do David and Goliath and King and, and then everything went great. But that's not what comes next. What comes next is not what we would necessarily expect to come next, but what comes next for David is usually what comes next for us when we're stepping into God's movement in our lives. See, if you have fairy tale theology, theology just means God thought. If you have fairy tale theology and you're looking at the David story and you're going, oh my gosh, anointed king, young king, how sweet. Oh my goodness, the, the king's daughter in marriage. Oh my goodness, he defeated Goliath. Oh, I know what's coming. They hop in the carriage over the hill down the other side, off into the sunset, and they live happily ever after Walt Disney roll credits. If you have karma theology, you would go, oh yeah, if he's doing good, then probably some good's gonna come back to him. I mean, what, he, he fought a battle that no one was willing to fight. He risked it all to save a bunch of people. He's a hero, he's a king, he has done good. And so I bet in the story, some good is now going to come back to him because of the good he's done. But here's the problem. No good comes back to him and he doesn't live happily ever after. As a matter of fact, the opposite happens. And on the back end of, hey, you're anointed, and in the back end of slaying a giant, on the back end of the daughter of the king in marriage comes a 10-year period of intense emotional pain. Comes a 10-year period of obscurity and confusion. Comes a time when he doesn't feel like God's anointed, but God's forgotten. Comes a time when he feels a million miles from this picture that was once so clear in his mind's eye. See, what happens is, is they celebrate Goliath for a couple of days, and then we get this little note. There's this chant throughout the land. They would sing these songs. That was their way of spreading news. And the song spreads through the land, and they say, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Which is great if you're David, not so great if you're Saul and you feel your throne slipping through your fingers. David, or Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens. You know what that means? 
means a new officer has been assigned to the command. And he's a little smarter and a little sharper and a little more capable than the old guard. It means a, a new manager has been added to your division and he leads a little faster, thinks a little bit farther ahead, and everyone likes his ideas a little more. It means there's a new mom on the PTA and she's got unlimited hours to give to the school and somehow she keeps herself in really good shape. There's a new king in town. What, too real? There's a new king in town. And the old guard isn't happy. If I had more time, we should talk about, or we would talk about, how important it is that you learn to celebrate the success of those around you. There's a new king in town. And Saul doesn't like it, and I wish you could see it. I wish we could hire some of the best producers and directors to show you the scene. Because in comes manipulation. In comes real darkness. In comes real jealousy and fear and bitterness that all swirl together in a plan to take David's life. Saul orchestrates a plan to have him killed. Now, don't miss this. Don't go, oh, I've heard this before. No, think real life. Think God told you one thing, and now somebody is trying to take it from you. Think deep, dark fear. Think a group of people conspiring together to take away from you something that God has made you to be and promised you would have. It gets dark in a hurry. And so David takes off. And then if you were reading through the rest of the scriptures, we follow David for a 10-year cat and mouse game where he's running from Saul. He is not on a throne. He is hiding in caves, not knowing where his next meal's coming from, not sure if he's going to make it, not sure where this God is or why a good God would let him experience something like that. That's David's shoes. Have you been there? Do you know what the scripture says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 13? So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills in the desert of Zith. Day after day, Saul searched for him. Where is he? He's on the run and in the wilderness. Have you ever been on the run? On the run means tired. On the run means there's nowhere left to turn. You're afraid, you're confused, and you feel miles from home. Have you ever felt like you're in the wilderness? The wilderness is the barren place. Feel alone. Feel like God has left and you're forsaken dry and you're all out of ideas. Not where you would expect somebody to end up. God taps him on the shoulder and says, you're going to be king. But it's exactly where David finds himself and we refine ourselves sometimes when we take the calling of God in our lives seriously. Matter of fact, there's this book in the middle of scripture it's called Psalms, spelled Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, right in the middle. And we have David's journal entries. We have a copy of the things he went through and his interpretation of them. And these aren't the journal entries you would expect from a future king. 
These aren't the journal entries you would expect if God taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I've got good plans for you. Psalm 22, or Psalm 6, let's start with 6, says this. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? You ever asked how long? How long am I going to be this anxious? How long am I going to watch my kids struggle? How long am I going to sit here and sing these songs and wonder where you're at at the same exact time? How long do I have to keep faking it? How long, Lord? All night long I flood my bed with weeping. I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Have you ever been on the run and in the wilderness? Well, this story goes on. David and his company are running from Saul. And we pick up a few years into the drama. Saul, uh, Samuel 23, verse 24, it says, Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon in Erebus, south of Jeshion. Saul and his man began to search, and when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard about this, he went into the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. So there's pictures. I think we have a blurry photo of where David finds himself in this time. That's not David, by the way. That's a guy in a Seahawks jersey. (laughs) But that is where David was. I don't know if he rented the, the burrow or what. He doesn't look like he's doing so good. We should probably send somebody. But this is the place. And the picture is David has taken to these hills because he's about 600 strong in his army. Saul's about 6,000 strong in his army. And maybe if we get down in these hills and valleys, we can maneuver a little quicker, move a little faster, and stay out in front of this one who's trying to take everything for us, which is exactly what we do when we feel afraid. Maybe I could outrun this. Maybe I could search enough on the internet, find enough answers and articles about people who have been there too, and I could find some comfort in some sort of solution that I could cook up on my own. He's on the run and in the wilderness. And then it happened. The next verse says, Saul was along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Do you get the picture? It's just about over. This is the dark day. This isn't, I will lift my hands and sing of all you've done. This is, I hope my affairs are in order. I wish I could have raised some kids a little bit better. I'm sorry to all you guys who have called me your leader. I'm disappointing you because it's about to be over for all of us. Sit in that space with David for a minute. Feel it. Have you been there? Now, I think you guys know me well enough by now to know that I try and take the important parts of these passages and put yellow in there so you can see something. And you might have to squint a little bit, but if you look over here, you'll notice the comma is one of our yellow words for the day. It's not a word. It's a punctuation mark, right? Come on. 
Vista Square helped the boy out. <laughs> Still struggling with elementary English, but... The comma might be the most important part of the chapter. Because you can see the picture, right? There's Saul on one side of the mountain with his army. There's David and them over on the other side. And all that separates them is a mountain. They are over here thinking, it's gone. It's done. We're through. But the comma tells us the story's not finished yet. The comma tells us that it doesn't end here and there is more than meets the eye. That's what the comma does. The word as up there means as they are in this moment, something else is happening at the same exact time. And we get it right here. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly. The Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off the pursuit of David. Wait, what? Then Saul broke off the pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. And David went from there to the strongholds in, to, of En Gedi, a.k.a. the safe place. He was delivered. The as in this passage means as great pain was happening, God was up to something at the same exact time. This is refining in your notes. I almost called this message the other side of the mountain. Because what the writer is hoping we see thousands of years later is that on this side of the mountain, there is pain and there is fear and there is anguish. But on this side of the mountain, God had not forgotten. On this side of the mountain, there's obscurity and confusion. But on this side of the mountain, God had not stopped a mighty work. On this side of the mountain, there was deep pain and problems. But on this side of the mountain, God was watching over saying, I've got this. It's going to be okay. And there's a lot we can learn here about surviving the refining. And that's an important lesson if you're going to follow God. Because anytime God taps you on the shoulder, I wish I had better news this morning, much like David, you find God refining you and shaping you into everything he's made you to be. So let's talk about this. Three quick points in your notes. How do you survive the refining? Number one is you consider the reason for the refining. This is a problematic and maybe even disturbing part of this passage. But earlier on in this historical account, it says, Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah. For I am giving the Philistines into your hand. So David and all of his men went to Keilah and fought the Philistines. Translation, God sent him to this place of pain and problems. Translation, when all of this stuff went wrong, when there was pain and fear and angst and obscurity, God or David was exactly where God wanted him to be. And for us, that means in times in our lives when we are fighting through in significant pain and problems, we too might be exactly where God wants us to be. And surviving is tuning into the fact 
that God loves us too much to leave us alone. Surviving is tuning into the fact that God is writing a story on a far bigger canvas than just our lives. And the temporary pain might have a far greater purpose that God wants to unfold in your story. Consider the reason for the refining. There's this Hebrew scripture in chapter 12, and it says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. So why would God allow David to encounter such pain and so many problems? Because he loves him. God loved David too much to let him sit on that throne without the character that would be needed to sustain the kingdom. God loved David too much to allow him to remain arrogant, and with such arrogance, he would finally be his own demise. How do you take a boy who just killed the giant, he was anointed as a young guy, everybody sees him, he's going, he's on a fast track, he's going places, he's well recognized, a lot of followers on his account in Israel, and, and he's blessed, and then he kills a giant at a young age, and everyone's shouting his praises. How do you take a boy like that and sit him on a throne without arrogance, without self-sufficiency, and without pride that would one day destroy him and the whole kingdom? You take him and you put him in situations where his resourcefulness, his clever thinking, his internet searches, his scheming and planning and savings account would not be enough to sustain him. But we realize that it's God who is our deliverer and not himself. So we've talked about David, let's talk about us. Why does God let us go through such refining in our lives here? Because he loves us. He loves you too much to let you into your future without the heart and soul that you need to exist in that space. He loves you too much to let you sit comfortably in Southern California on a heap of self-sufficiency slowly dying even though you think you're actually alive. He loves the people that your life is connected to too much to leave you alone and leave you unrefined because there's things in you and who you are becoming that they really, really need. The reason is his love. Surviving the refining point too is simply this. Consider the God on the other side of the mountain. See, this is a spiritual history, which means we're reading history, but it has the spiritual reality woven through it. So when we read it today, we are to look at it and see what the spiritual thread is and what it means for us. What is the spiritual message of this text? What is it saying to us? It's simply saying this, there's a God at work on the other side of the mountain. The text is saying today, although you have pain, although you have problems, although you have parts of your life where you would trade everything to get rid of it, there is still a God on the other side of that mountain watching over you who has not given up on you. That's faith. 
That's what it means. And too often, we sing like Christians but sleep like atheists. Band, you guys can come up. We'll wrap in a second. Can I tell you what I mean? I mean, too often we live like there's not a God on the other side of that mountain. Too often we can be found saying, I believe, and yes, brother, and okay, and praise God. And here's another praise on my connection card. Here's an inspirational Christian post on social media this week. And here's my signaling and my Christian reaction to the latest current events and these things. And here's all of the stuff about who God is in my life. And I'll sing about it and I'll talk about it. But I lay down my head to sleep in anxiety, in fear, and a feeling that if I don't have this figured out by the time the sun comes up, it might be over. And I don't say this to kick you while you're down. I say this to be a voice reminding you there is a God on the other side of that mountain. He's not asleep. He's not checked out. He has dialed into every last detail of your life. He's working out a plan of salvation. And having faith, having faith choosing to believe that. I'm going to just finish with this. I want to give you some fuel this morning. This is one of those take a picture of it with your phone text because these are good verses about the God on the other side of the mountain. We're going to talk about our God. I'm going to remind you who it is that's watching over you. And today we'll proclaim that. Let's worship you guys. It is spiritual warfare. It is lifting your eyes from the valley to the God on the other side of the mountain saying, I trust you. It's not saying this place is okay. It's not saying this is what you want for your life. It is saying that God is bigger than this. It is saying there is a plan and a purpose attached to this suffering. And if that plan and that purpose have God's name on it, I'm in. That's worship. There's a God on the other side of that mountain. Isaiah 41, this God says to you and to me, I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, so I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Psalm 34, it says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Listen, righteousness was taken care of on the cross. You're going, wait, I, I got this. I want the God, but I'm certainly not righteous. Yeah, Jesus declared you righteous when he died for you on a cross and said your mistakes and your failures and your sin don't define you anymore. These are your promises. In the Psalms, David records words that belong to us and says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. 
you stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes with your right hand you save me Romans what then shall we say in response to these things what things Jesus dying and raising from the dead what do we say in response to that if God is for us who can be against us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor anything present or future nor any powers neither height nor death or anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. Let's stand. Let's make these words our own. Let's make this a song that lasts Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, until you get back. Let's make this moment class. Let's make this moment count. Let's make this moment a declaration. Let's pray and then we'll sing. God and Father, our lives are you. We belong to you. We trust you. And we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week.